But when you're relating to people, I think to put them first and to let them know that, you, you know, that you do care. You're not just trying to make a dollar. I think that's that's important. You know, I'm not here just to make a living. I'm here because I like what I do and, you know, I want to help you. You're helping me. I'm helping you. This is Pittsburgh, a place where a rich heritage of making things and a fierce independent nature come together to create a thriving entrepreneurial community. Whether you're a small business owner looking for ideas or inspiration, or you're an enthusiastic supporter of local businesses, you'll find it here. I'm your host, Darren Volano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh podcast. So today I have a special guest on the podcast. It's my mom, Donna Volano. So I'm really excited to have you here today. And uh, you've been a big inspiration for me and a big inspiration for the podcast and why I do this podcast. So it's only fitting that I have you here on the show. People ask me all the time, why did I start this podcast? Why do I do it? Where did the idea come from? And whenever I'm, people that listen to the show will have heard this before because I often talk about you. I mention you, that you're a small business owner, that you're one of the first examples that I've had in my life of an entrepreneur, of a business owner. I got to see you work up close and what you do every day in the salon. So that really inspired me as, you know, the hard work you put in, raising a family, all the things, all the sacrifices that you had to do and what it was like really to be a small business owner at, at that time and, and all the sacrifices and all the things that a person has to make. So you were a big inspiration for me and I wanted to create this podcast so that I could also help put the spotlight on the great work that people are doing in their, in their communities through their small businesses. And, you know, your business, you've, you just recently retired, but you were in mm -hmm. business for 38 years and your business really was, you know, it had its prime in the 1980s and 1990s. If you think when you were the busiest during that mm -hmm. time, and, and that was before the, you know, the internet, as we know it today, that was before podcasting, before YouTube, before social media, you didn't have the all these tools that we have today. So I always thought you had a great story to tell and that you would be great on a podcast. And so that became an inspiration for me when I decided to, to do this and, and to uh, look for people that would be the right people to, to, to showcase on this podcast. And that, that became kind of a model really for me of what to look for. So thank you for the inspiration. Thank you for the, all the work that you did. And, and, um, and it's great to have you here today. Oh, I'm glad to be here. And it's also fitting to have you because I do so much, like, like I said, I talk about you so much, then I thought, why haven't I had you on the podcast yet, right? I mean, you've never done it. You know, why not interview you? You're a business owner and you just recently retired. You're a business owner for all these years. You know exactly what this life is all about. And uh, so it's, it's about time that I had you on. Yeah. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my mom, Donna Volano. She is retired and the former owner of Studio 507 Hair Salon. Mom, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. So when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? What were some of the things that you considered? And when did becoming a hairstylist, when did that become an option for you or something that you thought about? Well, back when I grew up, you were either a nurse, a school teacher, or a hairdresser. And... <laughs> I liked the idea of being a hairdresser because I could make money right away. It wasn't like you had to go to school three or four years and 
I didn't come from a family that was able to send me to college. You know, back then, there wasn't all this financial aids and all these things. So they would have had to pay for it, even though, of course, it was a lot cheaper. So I thought that was the easiest thing for me to do and the quickest way to make money. And the training was only about nine months months. for cosmetology school? Yeah, and I was always interested in in beauty and being creative with my hands, like makeup, hair, and all those things. So it really interested me. Yeah, and the schooling, like you said, the training is a lot shorter. You know, Mm -hmm. being a nurse probably would have been several years at least. Being a school teacher could have been four years uh, of college. So it mm-hmm. gave you a faster track to being able to be independent and make your own money. So that makes sense. Right. And like you said, it, it plays into your love of fashion, making people feel good, right? It's a feel-good business. You it know, is. Get people in Nothing your chair. Nothing depressing about yeah, it. Yeah, it's exciting to, you know, people mm-hmm. leave better than when they came, yeah, right? So that's right. a that's At a least really, they better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you're doing your job right, right? <laughs> right. So you, as you mentioned, you grew up in a small town, you know, modest means, you know, your your family had very little, but you, you know, you had a decent childhood. You were able to, you know, they raised you and your brother and, and you had, uh, this upbringing and you, but you didn't really go on vacation. You didn't, obviously you guys didn't have the money, didn't go anywhere. You primarily stayed in the small town in Eastern Ohio that you grew up in. I think you told me before you had the occasional trip, maybe to see a cousin or a relative or go to Buckeye Lake once or something, which is in Ohio. So what was it like to finally leave the small town to go to the big city of Columbus? Cause that's where your training mm-hmm. was. That's where your cosmetology school that you went to in the 1960s. What was it like to leave home after high school? Well, I was excited about it, you know, because I always felt like I wanted to be in the city, and it was fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> fun while it lasted, yeah. And I liked the school and everything, so I'm glad I did it. Yeah, I mean, it, and that's kind of the uh, the typical thing, right? A, a small-town kid, you know, you want to be in the big city, mm-hmm. so that's that's sort of something that happens yeah, all the time. Yeah, see what it's like. You want to see what it's, what's different there than where you grew up more people, more opportunity, more things to do. Places are open later, especially when yeah. you're young, you want to go out, you want to have fun. Now, you probably didn't have a lot of money, so you were probably scraping by just to make, just to- That's it. Just you to know, pay how to make school, a choice. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of spending money or anything, but somehow I managed to get where I needed to get. But you yeah. had some girlfriends, you stayed in, the, in, sure. in a dormitory, I think you said at first, but then you eventually were able to get a, an apartment or something with a group mm-hmm. of people and- and then you made friends and you got out into the city a little bit in the yeah. time you were there. And we were, I was walking distance to the school from where I stayed downtown. It mm-hmm. was like a, a tall building, like apartment building. Mm-hmm. And so I could walk. It was only a couple blocks. We'd walk to school. And things were different then. The city was probably smaller than it is today. It's not as smaller, grown. Smaller, a, a little bit safer. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't worry, mm-hmm. you know. And we did have curfews in that building. I mean... You couldn't, well, at least you weren't supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> Not supposed to sneak any come, visitors in? <laughs> yeah, or come in too late, you know. you right. They'd start writing home letters to your parents saying, you know, what's she doing out <laughs> one o'clock in the morning, you know. Right, right. So, uh, yeah. That's great that you had that experience. And uh, so the school was was uh, good and you were able mm-hmm. to get the training that you needed to then come back home yeah. and, and, and get your first jobs, which your first jobs were working for other people, right? Working for other That's hair right. salons. And and uh, what was that experience like? Did that set the stage for you when you ultimately opened your own business? Did mm-hmm. you learn some things by being an employee first? Sure, because you, you realize, hey, I could do what they're doing. 
and I could be making more money. I'm not making very much money working for them, helping them build their business. And I'm not as busy because they're going to take every phone call till they can't take anymore, and then they're going to give you what's left over. So naturally, when you're the boss, so yeah, so it it made me want to have my own. Because there's like a rationing process where your new customers are coming in or calling, and that gets divided out between the staff, right? So you're right. you're not going to get everyone that comes in the door. You might get no. every fifth person or something that comes in the Depends door. Depends on how many people work there. And the That's person right. who owns it's sort of they have the 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 pick, Part, pick yeah. the prime pick, right? Of, of who they're right. working on. Mm-hmm. And the pay, like you said, you're you're either getting paid commission or an hourly wage, one of the two. Either way, you're sharing your revenue, your your sales with with the owner mm-hmm. and because they're giving you a place to work, right? So and, and that structure is similar to to what exists today, I believe, um, mm-hmm. as it was then. And so you're you're just not making the full pay that you could have made. Right. Right. But did you learn uh to work with other people? Did you share ideas with other hairstylists? And, and practice on each other, learn what yeah. to make, you know, what to do. So that probably helped so that when you were, because when you're a business yeah. owner, you're alone. Because you, when you started your hair salon, right. you started alone. You didn't really have yeah. people to bounce mm-hmm. ideas off of, but you didn't maybe need it as much then because you were, you were a little, little bit more seasoned by the time that came around. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. When you work with other people, it's like, I'll do your hair and you do my hair. You know, my I really need a haircut. How about doing it? And I'll do yours, you know, or I'll color your hair, you color mine. So, yeah, that works out good. Because the time when you eventually opened your hair salon, 1984, I was about 10 years old. You had already been a hairstylist really probably for, what, 15 years or something mm-hmm. at that point. So you were not new at this process, but then you opened your business. And so first, why did you, again, decide to go out on your own? I know you mentioned some financial reasons. Were there some other reasons too? Mm-hmm. Independence, other things that that caused you to do that. And then you also made the choice to open up your business at home in a residential salon. So you were on the lower level when we were living upstairs. What, what motivated that choice? So that I could uh, still be a mother and work and still make a living because we live close enough to the schools and everything. You could come home for lunch or you could walk to school a couple of blocks and I didn't have to worry. And, you know, small town, it wasn't like it was a big city and I could be there, you know, or I could arrange my time. Say I had to go to the school for a meeting or you come home sick and I have to take you to the doctor. I could arrange my customers. You're not going to do that when you're working for somebody else. Yeah, having that residential salon really, yeah. again, we should mention you were divorced at the single. time. You were a single mother. You're raising three kids. My brother's older, so he was a little bit more independent. He was like making his way through high school at that point. But my sister and I are younger, you know, we're we're not, we're still in grade school and we're able to come home from school, be there, you know, where we're at, you know, it's, it's makes it easier. Mm-hmm. You could be downstairs working, but you could hear us come in. And if we needed something, we could come down and talk to you. Right. That's right. Or I'd say, I'll run upstairs when I get a break and Make can help you with whatever it is or do whatever I needed to do. Help with homework, know. make some food. Or maybe I have an hour till my next customer so I can do what I need, run to the store, do what I need to do. That you're not going to do that when you're working for somebody else. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that really was convenient. And there's some good and bad with that, right? So there's the convenience of us being home. If we need you, we can get to you, you know where we're at. But then also 
there's the noise factor that comes along with mm-hmm. that. So we're upstairs, we're making noise, you know, we're, we're being kids, we're being rambunctious. That sounds like, you know, like a bowling alley probably above your head because, you know, even when you do simple things like pull a stool out, when you're upstairs, it doesn't sound that loud, but downstairs, it sounds like right. the f- house is falling uh, in, you know, yeah. the ceiling's falling in. So yeah. that must've been challenging too, is to, to manage that and, and explain that to your customers or to tell us to be quiet, right? Right. Yeah. So that made it a little bit difficult. And then, of course, as you got older, you would always would always bring your friends home. <laughs> so or Rachel would. So it's like a lot more people because right. I always encouraged that. I never encouraged you to go to somebody else's house. I'd rather my kids be home where I can see what they're doing and who they're with. So I really didn't mind it, but I guess it made more noise in a way. Yeah. Were your customers, I would imagine some were understanding, hopefully most were understanding, some maybe weren't. but but, most were. Yeah. Once in a while, somebody might make a comment or not be too nice about it. But for the most part, everybody mostly likes kids, so they're not. And again, we mentioned some of the financial reasons why you started your own business. And again, what were some of the other reasons? You know, did it give you independence from somebody else's control telling you what to do? What were some of the other aspects of operating yourself that were different than working for someone else? Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, you could do what you wanted to do. And once you do that, you don't want to go back to the other anymore because I've tried it. And when you have people telling you what to do, (laughs) it doesn't work too well because you've been your own boss for a long time. And you know, if you want to close up the shop and go Kroger and you could do it. So, uh, yeah, there was a lot of things, I guess. Yeah, this is a standard thing that a lot of entrepreneurs say. Once they've worked for themselves, they open up a business. I've had many people on the podcast that will say that, and it's like they can't go back. You know, <laughs> once you're, you're kind of like ruined once you've worked for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's really, you know, m- many of them will say, I'm not, I'm not employable anymore. I'm just, I'm too independent now. I can't go I back know. to that. So what did it feel like when you finally opened your doors? You know, you had your grand opening back in 1984. You put an ad in the paper. We have a copy of that black Mm -hmm. and white picture. And we later recreated it uh, when we did the remodeling that we'll talk about uh, here in a few minutes. But um, when you first opened and you put that ad in the paper, people actually came. What did that feel like to, to to have that accomplishment of opening your doors? Did you feel a lot of pride in that? Yeah, I did. I was excited about it. And like most people, you think, well, who is going to come? Or is anybody going to come? And I had people come through that door that day. One of them in particular, I always think about her, and and she's passed on now. But she was like my main customer, you know, and my first customer. And she was always getting her hair done, her family, and you know, that I would have never met her if she didn't come for open house. Mm-hmm. So in a small town like that, people, especially back then in the 1980s, people actually showed up. They, yeah, they because saw there the wasn't ad, yeah. so much to do. Like, oh, wow, we get to go there and have cookies and coffee. <laughs> and grandma made, and grandma made cookies. Made cookies. <laughs> she was know? hosting, helping to, to host yeah, the Yeah, she was the, uh, really trying so hard, mm-hmm. you know, where now we definitely go out and buy a cookie tray. <laughs> right, pro- yeah, these were probably all made from scratch, you know, and her. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's great. So even though you were a business owner, a lot of people probably thought we had more money than we did because they see this business, we're in a small town and we were pretty broke most of the time. Again, Mm. you were mostly a single mom. 
and uh, you know, trying to make ends meet. This is a sole income for us is the work that you were doing. Could you talk about some of the financial challenges of running a business and making these tough decisions of, do I pay the electric bill so mm -hmm. they don't shut it off? Or do I buy the food for the kids or the kids need something mm -hmm. for school? I got to get this school supply mm -hmm. or, or maybe they need a new pair of shoes. They got a hole in the shoes. These are some of the just many trade-offs. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this can relate on some level, whether they have a business or not. Some people just live, you know, they, they, can, they, they can understand this just by working a regular job. These are tough decisions that, that people have to make. And we had to make those too. What was that like for you and in, in having those trade-offs to make and making those tough decisions? It was hard, but you always, your priority is always your kids. So you're going to feed them first and make sure they have their school supplies. They have to have them or they can't go. Or if they really need a pair of shoes, sometimes they have the weight. But naturally, that came before me ever buying any. So, yeah, it is hard because when the time, when the weather's bad, if, say, it's snowing, everybody cancels, mm -hmm. you know. And if you don't make big money and you don't have money set back and you don't have a second income, it's difficult. It's a lot easier if you have, you know, another person that has uh, mm -hmm. an income. Dual income, right. That could be spending money or whatever to buy for the kids and that's it. But when you have to maintain the house, pay all the bills, it's difficult. And that's a uh, big challenge right there that you just mentioned, which is the the fact that your income fluctuates so much when you're a business owner, because especially the the line of work that you're in, it's weather dependent. You know, people have to actually come and show up and get the service, right? So mm -hmm. this is not an internet business. You know, you have to be there and um, people would cancel for a variety of different reasons. You could have a great month where you make great income and then you could have a couple of months where it's really dry and, That's and, right. and then it gets tough and you have to figure out how to balance and spread your money out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also you had mentioned, you know, you, when you had those trade-offs, you know, you had to put food on the table and that means maybe you have to call the electric company and negotiate, right? Right. You do a lot of negotiating, but people are usually compassionate. You know, they try to help you and, when they do something really good, you're just thankful. You're, oh my goodness. <laughs> you're so amazed that they went above and beyond, you know. Because they don't people don't have to do that. Yeah. When they're on the phone. No. If somebody wants to take a hard line, they can do that. But if they yeah. go out of the and way. Some people do take a hard line. Right. They give you a hard time. Right. And they're not going to budge one bit. And it's not going to affect them at all. But once in a while you get that gracious person on the yeah. phone that they can they can hear the desperation in the voice and wants That's to help right. you out, they'll go talk to their manager or do whatever. Right. They... And if you're just honest with people, I think if you just tell them, you know, hey, I have three children and I'm self-employed and I just, I had a bad month or I was sick or one of my kids was sick. I missed work, whatever it was. The weather was bad. People are understanding, but. And we grew up in an area where it's, it's, low income, primarily, you know, economically mm -hmm. depressed. So I'm sure we weren't the only one making those phone calls. People, right. they're, they probably, you know, get those calls from time to time from people and know that they mm -hmm. need to help a little bit, you know, just in that area. That's yeah. a, more and of a common thing. You don't want to scare people away by having the highest prices in your salon. And that's another thing I think it was a struggle for me, you know, maybe mm -hmm. charging mm -hmm. enough. Yeah, that's a good point is, um, yeah, that's another challenge is, uh, 
you know, knowing your worth and having the confidence, right, to mm-hmm. charge right. what you really should be charging. And there's a tendency for a lot of business owners to underprice, you know, themselves mm-hmm. because they feel like, well, who's going to pay this or this doesn't seem right or, you know, they they mm-hmm. have a hard time with that. Many people can relate to that. And um, it sounds like you had that issue, with, you know, throughout the years as well. And also there's poor people that come that, need favors. Just like you needed it. Yeah. Like, Hey, can (laughs) I pay you next month? Can I write you a check? You can cash it on payday or whatever. To a good customer, you're not going to say no, no matter how badly you need the money. Mm -hmm. So that's another predicament. Yeah. That's nice that you had the opportunity to repay that favor essentially, because you know, Mm -hmm. you were getting help as well and you're able to do that. And I know one of the things that you did that always comes to mind for me that, that you did to help people was giving people rides and picking people up to get their hair done. You know, mm-hmm. if you had a, an elderly uh, customer, client, uh, somebody who was sick or somebody who, who needed uh, assistance with walking, you know, you would go and get them mm-hmm. and uh, on your own time and on your own money and everything to go do that. And that always amazed me because there's very few people I think that would do that in a mm-hmm. business, very few business owners that would do that. I'm sure there are some out there, but um, that was a big, step, a big thing that you did to, mm-hmm. to help people out. And I'm sure that was appreciated. Right. Yeah. I think most people did because, and that's sometimes why they would even come. I mean, they couldn't get maybe to another town or whatever. And so they were happy that they could get a ride. Yeah. Other business owners were probably not going to do what you did. So yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. So when you opened up the business, you operated under the name Donna's Classic Hair Design. And I think you had that name for a little over 20 years. And then we remodeled the business in 2006 and rebranded as Studio 507 Hair Salon. Mm-hmm. So that was a big step that we took when we did that. So first off, I, I want to congratulate you on that because you were very gracious in letting me uh, take over that project, remodeling, closing your business really for what, about a month or so? Yeah that was a big ordeal, you know, back then to, you know, not have customers. And again, when you have fluctuating income, that's, that's a big thing. And, um, you know, we, you let me take the lead a a lot in terms of uh, equipment, picking out colors, design, all the things that we did. So uh, that was a huge step. When you think back about that time, you know, what comes to mind for you? What do you remember about whether it's being closed or just the excitement of remodeling? What comes to mind for you? Well, it really needed remodeled. And I think that helped me, everything new and everything bright and colorful, it helped me to be more confident and to like reestablish myself. And you made it look beautiful. If it wasn't for you, all the colors and I mean, everybody loved it. I think for 10 years, everybody talked about the color of the paint (laughs) and it was really pretty. It still is, but uh Yeah. So it was exciting. You know, I felt like I was starting all over again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for the compliment. Um, Yeah. I mean, it sounds like almost like it it breathed new life into your business and into your attitude, the way you felt about the business, which is a big thing that really matters. You know, you want to feel good coming to work every day. And, And the shop was looking pretty, you know, older and tired and outdated in a lot of ways. And you had some used equipment initially that you put in the shop when you first opened. And it was really starting to break down and we were able to add 
all new equipment and, and additional equipment, things that you didn't have before. Mm -hmm. So I think all of those uh, changes were great. And um, it sounds like you had some uh, pride in that. And what, you know, you were, like I said, you were closed for a month. You know, what was that, you know, were you ever concerned or you just saw what we were doing and you were energized by it and you were finding a way to sort of make do until we opened? I mean, you know, were yeah. you ever, were you ever worried that it was going to drag on too long or? No, I don't think so, because things seem to be moving along, and you made it easier for me, of course. So I managed. It wasn't so much even the money, but to keep them content so they didn't go somewhere else. Yeah, it was the concern of, you know, are people going to I, go well, someplace else? Or... Because uh, some of them that do, they don't always come back. Like if you say, hey, I'm back and I'm reopened. But most of them did, and that that was good. So relationships are really important in business, especially small businesses. You know, you develop strong relationships with your customers, especially with the hair salon. It's the, you know, it's a very personal service. They're mm -hmm. sitting in your chair. You're working on them. Again, making the, the person beautiful or look better. This is a big, a big thing. You know, they're putting their, their trust in you that you're going to do a good job. What was it like to build relationships with customers over the years? And I think, you know, many of these customers came to you for so long. I think you referenced uh, somebody earlier mm. and, and you developed really friendships with a lot of these people. I really did. You know, when, uh, I mean, I like that. That was one of the best parts of the whole thing with the business was making friends and even seeing a lot of my friends and they would come and get their hair done and all of that. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And I, you know, still friends with a lot of these people. Mm-hmm. As we had mentioned earlier, you raised an entire family with this business, you know, three kids. Again, we had a, a little bit of a rocky road from time to time, but there were good times as well. And, uh, you know, you managed to, to figure out all those trade-offs and how to make the money stretch and how to make it work. What does it feel like today to know that you did it? I mean, we, we made it, you know, you raised all the mm -hmm. kids, you're here today, you know, we're all alive, we're doing well you raised a family, you, you had a successful business for 38 years. A lot of people can't say that, you know, a lot of businesses don't make it not, they don't even make it one year, let alone five, 10 or multiple decades like you. So that's a big accomplishment. Mm -hmm. How does it feel to know that you, that you made it and that you had that accomplishment? Mm -hmm. Be honest. I don't think about it a lot, but it, when I do, you know, it makes me feel good. But it's kind of sad when I'm not doing it anymore, you know, because I really enjoyed it. And it's all the people and the commotion. I always like that, that I, you know, that then you don't have. But The bustling hair salon, people coming in and out. Yeah, or just stopping to see me. Like, catching hey, I up know on, I had, Yeah, you know. catching up on, on, on what's going on with people's lives, right? Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, when you have a salon, it's kind of like a barbershop. You know, I think about that hub of activity in the community, people coming to interact with you, but also with each other, with other customers and having conversation mm -hmm. and catching up on what's going on in town and what's the latest. And it's, it becomes kind of a, something to look forward to. Yeah, that's right. And you, you, you came, your business came about at a time where you had weekly customers, you know, that's no longer really the way it's that's done. Right. right? So the you, hair business has changed. Yeah, it's changed. And people come in just when they need a hair color or, or a cut, but you know, you, you were, doing this at a time where a lot of your customers were coming in to, to use the, the hair dryer and get curlers and kind of that, that whole aspect of it, mm -hmm. which made it like a weekly ritual. Yeah, it did. And that was the bread and butter. You know, I, if I had 
which probably at one time I did have 50 or 60 people. The same people came every week. And beside that, then you get these other phone calls like, hey, I need a perm or I need a haircut or whatever, or maybe some men. But you could count on that. Well, I've got 60 people times whatever you're charging. And that's, I'm going to probably make about that much money this week and I'm going to pay whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it becomes a standard, you know, something you can look forward to and, and yeah. smooths out your sales, right? So they're not so mm-hmm. lumpy when you don't know when somebody's going to call. So that makes, mm-hmm. makes but a it lot did of sense. get harder and harder because the only time people, I had a few people that would come every week, but everybody else, the generations coming up now, the girls fix their own hair. Right, right. And of course, the guys do. Right. They it's just come for those special things. You might see them once every three months. So unless right. you have, 500 people like that. You need it's a bigger hard. clientele to make it. Oh, right. definitely. Right. Mm-hmm. You had all of your kids, but especially me and my sister, because we were younger, so we were with you more. You had us watching you closely and, you know, seeing what you were doing all those years, you know, as you're working hard and you're working in the shop. You may, maybe didn't really think about this then, but now as you look back, what lessons do you hope that we learn from watching you go through what you did, whether it's, again, the good times and the tough times, right? You know, there's something to be learned from all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, what lessons did you hope to instill in us that we could carry forward in our lives? Well, sometimes even if things aren't easy, you still have to endure, you know, the hardships. You just can't give up and quit. You know, I could have gave up and quit, went and got an apartment, but just to be able to pursue what you want to do and not to give up, I think is the main thing, no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. And work, hard work pays off. You can, if you stick That's it out, right. you can, you can make it. That's right. And there's going to be good times around the corner too, right? Not just the bad times. That's right. But, you know, you mm-hmm. can't just, um, you know, look at the, all the negative. You got to think about the positive and work hard and That's right. keep your nose to the grindstone and it'll all work out, right? That's right. As you look back on your career and your business, did running your business turn out the, like the way you thought it would? And if not, you know, what's, what turned out different than, than what you originally envisioned? Well, I always set my standards really high, in my mind anyway. And so I always can have a tendency to be a little bit disappointed in myself, thinking I could have done better. You know, what could I have done that at this point in my life, I could be sitting real pretty, you know, and a lot of hairdressers are. Mm-hmm. But what could I have done different? You know, I wish things could have been better. But the only thing I can say is I did the best I could with what I had. Mm-hmm. And one day at a time. So again, as we said, 38 years, you retired just this year and closed your business. What do you miss the most about your business? The people. I really do. I miss the people. Mm-hmm. There's people you probably, they still, some people come around and, and see you, but yeah, they you don't do. really maybe get to see certain other people. They that's don't come right. around as much. Yeah. People have moved on, you know, and that's kind of, in a little way, it's a little bit sad, mm-hmm. but that's part of life, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to be tough to, you know, you've had the success of being open for multiple decades, but the one challenge is when you do eventually retire or close a business. And again, there's probably people listening to this that can relate, you know, maybe they've closed the business themselves and it's tough because, you know, it's hard to walk away from something that you've done for so many years. It's so tied to who you are, right? As a person. Yeah, it's part of you. It becomes, 
It's like anything, you know. Uh, I've seen business people like that. They get older, and uh, they would give anything just to have their little store or still be— there was a man like that in town. He had a hardware store, and he said, I would give anything to be able to be back in that store and working, but he got sick, and he was mm-hmm. already, I think, in his 80s, but he didn't want to give up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think anybody that's done something for a long time can can relate to that. Mm-hmm. What legacy do you hope to leave for those, all the people that you touched all the years? And you probably had thousands and thousands of people come through your doors over mm-hmm. almost 40 years of business. And uh, you got to know many people. Some folks became friends. Some you saw less often, mm-hmm. but you know they still know who you are. What legacy do you hope to leave? And, and how would you like them to remember you or your business or the time they spent with you? I think that I was I was always kind to them, and I went out of my way for them. And I never turned anybody away or turned them to down, no matter if I were sick, if I were tired, uh, if I was having a lot of confusion or negative things happen in my life, that I still put them before all of that and just did what I needed to do and that they would see that I sacrificed. Mm-hmm. I sacrificed for them. You were very accommodating, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. What words of advice would you like to leave for other entrepreneurs listening to this? Somebody maybe is listening, they want to start a business, maybe it's a hair salon, maybe it's something else. And you've been doing this, you've had your own business for so many years, you've learned a lot of lessons. What thoughts come to mind of something you can share with with them You know, when it comes to running a business or starting a business? Well, you know, to me, it always comes like, be kind to people and all of that. But some businesses are not so much relating to people, maybe. But when you're relating to people, I think to put them first and to let them know that, you you know, that you do care. You're not just trying to make a dollar. I think that's, that's important. You know, I'm not here just to make a living. I'm here because I like what I do. And, you know, I want to help you. You're helping me. I'm helping you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that whole human side, mm-hmm. the human side of the business and really relating to people mm-hmm. and letting them know that you care about them. Mm-hmm. You did that so well. Yeah, you were you were great when it came to that. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and for being part of this show and for being an inspiration to the show. Uh, it's great to have you on. Oh, it was great to do this. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please do me and the Pittsburgh small business community a huge favor by giving it a rating on your favorite podcast app. It really helps others to find the show so that we can continue to build our community. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. And if you know someone who should be on the podcast or you'd like to connect with me, you can reach me at proprietorsofpittsburgh.com or at 412-336-8247. I'm Darren Volano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh podcast. Take care.